0: And then I didn't realize that when you read your own poem, it's like you talk to yourself and then the entire room is actually telling you, you find your answer.
1: Our guest on the Sanasini podcast today is Doni Marmer, a queer Indonesian climate change researcher, scholar, development facilitator, community builder, and poet. I remember feeling like I was in such a state after recording this conversation with Doni. And after I finished editing this podcast episode, I also just felt filled with gratitude. I thought to myself, yes, this is exactly the kind of conversation I want to be having on the show. And this is what we must make space for. In this chat, Doni and I delve deep into decolonization and development, climate action, in Indonesia, and poetry as a process of self-healing, revealing, and as a way to hold space for others as well. I usually share my final thoughts at the end of the episodes, but this time this conversation ends with Doni reading a poem he had written during lockdown. It's a riveting performance. Doni has this way of creating space and holding space through his words and his voice. I found it very moving and powerful. A quick PSA on potential trigger warnings, this conversation discusses topics such as homophobia, depression, and also suicide. But my promise to you is that you will find warmth in this conversation as well. It shares a message of hope, upliftment, and passion. You're listening to the Sanasini Podcast, and I'm your friend, Diletta Lagoa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Thanks so much for being with me today, Donnie, <laughs> on your Saturday.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I don't think Saturday does exist anymore, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I Yeah, that's true. There's not much to compete against right now in Melbourne, considering we're all still in stage for lockdown. Exactly. <laughs> well, I thought we might just dive in today, and I can't wait to you know, discuss with you all about all the various things you've been doing. It's all been really interesting to me, so I'm keen to learn more. Um, you know, I know it, that at the core, you are a community builder and you've been involved in a diversity of communities around youth, international development, and also the creative industry. So I wanted to ask, like, is there a common thread between all these things that you're doing and that you've done?
0: Oh, Wow. We started with a very big question.
1: (laughs) I did say we were going to dive right in. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's hard to, you know, because like all of the processes comprise with like, you know, different things. It's like, it's like chemistry, I guess. It's, you know, you combine things and do this and do that and then try this and try that, I guess the common theme or with what you just said like the trend between all of these sections is actually the intersectionality and creativity involved in just you know making the glue and how to attract people to engage and how to design and create the objectives and also like you know the 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 output of the activities that we are creating to even though it's a very serious thing it requires a lot of brainstorm and a lot of creativity processes. So the kitchen is the same, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that you mentioned creativity and people because at the end of the day, I think with any of those communities, if you don't have a people-first approach or an understanding of their needs and their goals, it, it would be really hard. And so I can see why you're such a great um, community person or community leader, oh, I'm curious, what are, what are three words that people often use to describe you?
0: Oh, another hard question, oh my god, <laughs> um, yeah, so three words that I often hear. I think I'm gonna start with not something good but also bad in the same time about me, first is I'm sensitive sensitive in any kind of way you can imagine and i think that's why also it helps me to gain a lot of perspectives and be kind of like how to say not empathetic but also like just like putting myself in someone else's shoes so i can see what the community needs for example or what my friends need. the second word that i just asked my partner earlier this morning (laughs) like how how are you going to describe me in three words? Mm -hmm. And then he said, well, there's like a a long pause first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then look at me in the eyes. He said, I'm passionate. And I'll take that. I think it's also because like my, I'm passionate. My passion is actually like just to create a space where everyone can be happy. Not happy. It's a very strong word. I guess like comfortable. And... That's why I love to create kind of like Mm. a communal space, like, you know, hosting dinner is a very small thing. And then like hosting events, Mm -hmm. just make small Mm -hmm. events with everyone involved and stuff like that. That makes me Mm -hmm. happy. And although I'm not really an extroverted, I am an extroverted person, but not like that extra. Mm -hmm. But when you see behind the scene, everyone having a good time. Yep. That's kind of like passion that i have so i put a lot of work doing it sometimes beyond Mm -hmm. kind of like the job that i should do but i feel like i just want to go extra yeah the last one yeah that i heard a lot from my friends is you are so cancerian i think that's me (laughs)
1: You'll have to elaborate on what that means. I'm not very familiar with the horoscopes and their characteristics.
0: Of course. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm surrounded by people who actually believe in the zodiac and the match about it and the science behind it, although it's pseudoscience per se. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, Cancer is actually like, I'm so nurturing and sensitive again, but more kind of like emotional. In the same time and trying to be like collected in terms of like expressing myself and also like Mm. it's just like i'm easily able to cover my true emotions because i don't want people to actually absorb it but Mm. i love to absorb people's emotions so Mm. that's what usually happens
1: i see and you're a giver and a convener and a facilitator
0: see you three words as a Three words is not enough, so I'm kind of, like, concluded into, like, I'm so Cancerian.
1: (laughs) That's great. No, I'm glad to learn a bit more about what that means. And I think those are beautiful skill sets as well that not a lot of people find easy to, to emulate, actually, to create space for others where they can feel heard, safe and valued. I think that's a true gift and it requires a high amount of understanding and emotional intelligence. So I think it's amazing that there's someone like you in your field of work and which we'll get to in a second with such a high sensitivity towards that. And, you know, a lot of people might be unsuspecting of any of this just by reading your CV because you've got a pretty impressive list of accolades. You're currently an Australia Awards Scholar in Australia, a Master's of Environment student at University of Melbourne. How would you say that this empathy, sensitivity, connectedness with others and creativity manifests in that area of your life?
0: Oh, uh. Yeah, and it's time to process that question as well. But I guess...
1: Feel free to take your time.
0: Maybe if you can repeat the last question, the last bit of the question.
1: Yeah. How would you say that, you know, your sensitive side, this the side of you that wants to emotionally connect with others, um, and the creativity behind that, how does that show up in your day-to-day, in that space in your life that's... A little bit more academic or professionally driven
0: hmm okay I guess uh, I think I'm just gonna start with this like like what I said like I absorb emotions but with that also I use that purpose to actually steal emotion and use that as my fuel to do something and or to create something like I love to observe mm-hmm. what is happening around me but also looking behind that you know things that happen behind uh, behind that 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 circumstances for example like like people's when when people Mm -hmm. express themselves or when when you see things happening around you there's a lot of things happening behind that as well and and that's always put me into this curiosity Mm -hmm. mode and then like observe and that's why a lot of people's sometimes kind of like call me out like don't stare at people that way or you know don't look at people that way like it's like no it's not my judgmental look you know it's it's me trying to observe and see what happens behind that people that emotions and then i use that as kind of like my inspiration or my muse to do something and to motivate me to do something and First, it started with my, not activism, but all of my work are related to activism. And I'm not an act, I don't have the energy to be an activist, but I love to support the work of those who are very passionate of being activists, be on the street or whatever it Mm is. I'm kind of like more like a broker instead of like um, an applicator. Like, you know, I love to matchmaking stuff and then like give it to someone this is what i already compiled and you can use this i'm gonna support you in doing your work so it's also part of my academic journey at the moment as well and i must be honest with you being a student is so difficult (laughs) like most of the time i feel like i just want to go back to do work you know like to do not meaningful but to do something that you know sweaty if that's kind of like the, <laughs> the analogy of it is actually, cause being a student now I realize like I have to sit behind a computer and like read and then like have this existential crisis mm-hmm. most of the time. And I miss being kind of like engaged in a very inspiring environment. Cause in my work, mm-hmm. if you like, when you're talking about my CV, my work, usually engage with community, local community, community on the field, urban community, rural community, any com- communities actually required me to work with them. And as a facilitator, the first thing that I do is actually observing the community that I wanna work with. And that is actually, uh, community facilitation is not a rocket science, but there's a rule of thumbs. First is actually get to know your community. And most of the time, that's where inspiration coming out from. And I use that creativity mode. And then, you know, my left and right brain actually functioning in two different worlds. And then they produce two different things. They never actually cooperate together. I hate that about me as well. But I love that about me as well. That enables me when I communicate and engage with the community, that enables me to create something that's meaningful and something that looks like it created by them, not me. I rarely put myself in my work because in community facilitation, for me to be successful is actually when the result of the training or, uh, or any activities that we would do is actually coming out from them, mm-hmm. having the sense of ownership and having the sense of the origin of the ideas is Per se coming out from them it will create a better impact yep and it's easier for me to pull out uh, because yeah most of the time i feel so overwhelmed with people's emotion and ideas and their expectations so when i give responsibilities to them my job's done and it's easy for me to pull out and it's easy for me to save myself and on the other side so most of the things that I do on the field sometimes Mm. kind of like attach or linger and for me to flush that things out is actually to Mm -hmm. put it in the box of poetry or of writing or of photography
1: yeah
0: any kind of like you know artsy creativity part of it I, I, I I I I store it in this kind of like box yeah so That's the work-life balance that I'm trying to create as well.
1: I think that's a really, really cool process. And I want to like backtrack to some of the things that you said just now about community ownership in your work as a facilitator, ownership of the the project or undertaking. Um, I think the word that's used in international development is participatory development or participation, right? But let's... Keep jargon out of this and um, go back to what you said because I really love the way that you articulated that and brought the focus on um, the agency and empowerment of the community that you work with, so that the project can have not just greater impact, but I think also sustainability going into the future. Because you know a a project is successful when the facilitator is able to pull out and that they c- the com- community can continue. And, you know, reap the benefits forward in time.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess this is the jargon again that I mm. just learned here. Is the word decolonizing. I was
1: thinking that too.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and mm. it's it's a trigger word for everyone nowadays, especially in the development area. But here's the thing. I also hate jargon, but I like the word decolonizing just because in the field that i'm working with i work now my career goes to like on building community resilience Mm -hmm. means i work in disaster disaster risk reduction and also um just socio-ecological conservation but my perspectives and my passion is not just environment i guess i put human first so it's a human-centered design kind of like perspectives where Sometimes we are lacking off in a way that we blame human for what happened to the environment, but also we need to help the human to actually protect the environment. So we can't separate environment and human. Mm. And then with the knowledge that we have right now, information, you know, overflowing and a lot of people got overwhelmed. And let me be more specific with the example of climate change. When we talk about it, everyone always think like, oh, something that gruesome and we hate all of this system change. Let's, you know, decarbonize, fossil fuel ban and stuff like that and go on the street, you know, climate strike, whatever it is. (laughs) For me, it's like how we need to decolonize the concept of climate change and talk to the community who actually the most vulnerable, which is indigenous communities, local communities that live in a rural area, mm-hmm. or small islanders, if we talk about Indonesia, these people are the most vulnerable and they have no idea what climate change is. And it's so hard to
1: mm-hmm.
0: force feed them with the science of climate change, for example, who actually imported from the West. It's not going to be make sense for them. So I think also with facilitation, we need, like the idea of facilitation is that we can translate everything that is consumable for the community that we work with. And it's actually a very hard job nowadays, trying not to make the community fear about everything, but also have hope and able to do something. So once again, have to be creative, rephrase everything. And what I love the most nowadays is actually use their own knowledge, mm. means I use their own belief system, I use their own arts as kind of like an, the way to exa- uh, explain something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I use the way they just use their own language. So instead of trying to tell something that very high science who only privilege people able to access, this knowledge is very mm-hmm. universal. How about we actually create something that actually a- appealing and consumable for them? So. Something like that. So that's decolonizing for me, yeah. and
1: yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of work on the in the position of the you as a facilitator, right? Because it requires, um, you know, commitment to understanding their culture, belief system, and you know, often th- we touched on this in my conversation with Komang in episode one. We, we perceive Indonesia as one thing mm. sometimes, but actually, you know, even um, within one island in Indonesia, you could have very, very different cultures, mannerisms, way of speaking, um, expectation and in our interactions with others. So it's it's a lot of work and it's very easy to feel like an outsider in Indonesia, even when you are um, Indonesian or just visiting a different Part of the country, and and then there's that tension of balancing the the objective of the intervention or project that you've gone there to do, possibly, and matching that with what you're able to make happen and connect um, with the community on.
0: Totally, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not a monolith, like what Common Rosi said. I, lo- I love that word monolith mm. because it represent something that we need to break as well. Indonesia is very diverse and I realize Australia mm. as well is very diverse.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look, I could talk about development for ages because I it's also something I'm really passionate about. Even though I agree with you, studying development often feels like an a repeat existential crisis again and again. <laughs> I feel like every essay I've written has just made me feel that way. So I wanted to um, traverse into the topic of um, the creative output, I thought that was really interesting that you described that as um, a process of self-healing as well, of releasing this almost, I don't want to use the word burden, but y- you take on a lot in order to be able to connect with these communities. You embody their struggles, challenges, and issues so that you can deeply connect and understand and help them through, um, And but that's got to go somewhere. And so for you, you mentioned Mm. that's through poetry and photography. Um, Can we talk about that a little bit and how you discovered that maybe?
0: Of course, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I believe that writing down one poem, not a day, but just writing down one poem makes your therapist feel happier. (laughs) Their job (laughs) makes their job easier, I guess. Yeah, so like I said, I absorbs a lot of emotions from my work world or my daily world and then compart- compartmentalizing it. I think it's kind of like a mechanism that I trained myself after went to Vipassana meditation and I realized I found something like Eureka moment. I think I need to write a poem about all of this experience and since then it becomes kind of like an addiction. Um, although I didn't, write a lot but I write when everything is kind of like you know Mm -hmm. in a crisis so it's kind of like my coping mechanism and then to think things through and put that in a form of poetry and yeah and then it's 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 a it's a a process that is very intimate usually I take time alone by myself with the music that I love or just with nothing and I write Mm. but also I got inspiration from the picture that I take. So I love like street photography and with something so candid, there's a lot of things that happen in there. And then you can just write down a lot of stuff just because of that. So it's coming from there. So inspiration's coming from all of the places and usually I make theme. And then like within a month, I kind of like, if you see my Instagram, there's always like a, a subtitle of my, of my poem and, and photography. And there's kind of like the theme on what I feel. And my poetry is something that is like what Rosie put on her debut and why she invited me to read is actually it's resonance with her her theme. My main theme of my poetry is mythology. Something related related to, you know, all of this taboo, something that we cannot talk about as Indonesian, i.e. mental health. You know, as Indonesian, we are used to grow It's like, ah, oh, you having depression because you are weak. You know what I mean? So like, and then with poetry it's kind of like a very like safe zone to be weak, to be vulnerable, to be sad, to be angry, to be happy, to be in love, to be horny, whatever you want to write about. And it's something that I found in Indonesian or any kind of like language that is free from judgmental. So of course I go there, I start to write. And then I didn't realize that when you read your own poem, it's like you talk to yourself or it's like you talk to your therapist and then the entire room is actually telling you,
1: Mm. you
0: you find your answer. So I started to take the courage to read my poem to public and poetry reading or spoken word Mm -hmm. becomes my new addiction. I'm happy that I'm addicted to this, not drugs, but... (laughs) but it's something that i always desire to do every single time when i feel down of course it's hard during this pandemic but then the art of spoken word that i just found was actually is like an echo chamber that i created on my own reading my own writing reading my own emotions and then bounced back to me and hits the reality so on the poetry that i, that I write is always involved mythological not creature but something like related to mythology either it's greek mythology or indian mythology or indonesian mythology i always love to put that in and you'll find out later on in the poetry that i will read and inside of it it's always the message that i want to tell the world something need to be changed so my poem is not only just about me, but my poem is about my frustration of like, mm. I need the world to change. I need the world to do something. And this is a form of campaign that I'm comfortable with to do. So yeah, it's, it's usually something like that.
1: Wow, that's, there's, there's a lot there. And I want to ground in some of the points that you made. You started by mentioning that you know the practice emerged out of your Vipassana practice. And I think that's really Mm. interesting because, as you described it, it started sounding to me almost like an extension of what one does in vipassana. So, for our listeners who might not be familiar with the term, it's a practice of it's a meditation practice where you go for ten days into um, a center and you for those ten days just spend all your time (laughs) literally meditating. You don't you're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to write, um, and then there's a certain diet that you have. So, you no, know, um, you're completely vegetarian diet um, while you're in vipassana, and the when you're in that process, what the, ch- the the challenge that you're faced with is actually to face everything that's inside you and to let it to to let it emerge, come to the surface. But then not to judge it, just to observe it. And I feel like that's almost how you have been treating your poetry. Like, you know, you have all these emotions that are inside you and you've given them a space to arise, come up, to have a sense of visibility. But then, you know, without judgment, you're expressing it in the form of your beautiful poetry. And I think that's that's so cool. Um, and, I, and I love that. And it's also not, not surprising considering... From my experience of doing Vipassana as well, when you're there, those 10 days that you can't speak, there's no other time that you want to speak or create or write so much. <laughs> I don't know if you can relate to this, Doni, but I I was like, I would be up at night, all night long at Vipassana, just running through infinite thoughts and loops in my head.
0: I didn't sleep for five days. On the first five days, I didn't go to sleep and start to talk to myself. <laughs>
1: It's very hard, um, but it's also such a rewarding experience. It is indeed, yeah. Another thing, yeah, I could go on forever <laughs> about um, But l- let's connect some dots for our listeners. You mentioned Komang earlier, Komang Rosie, who's one of our podcast guests, and she was actually the reason why I, I know you, because you presented your poem poetry reading at her event launch launch at Asia Topa, Earlier this year in February, and it was such a magical night that she curated. And you're talking about the similar themes that you have in your poetry, um, mythologies, and we'll, we'll hear about that shortly, and we'll hear your poem as well, which I'm really excited about. But before we go there, I wanted to touch on a uh, a key topic that you usually advocate on that's big in your life and that's queerness in Indonesia and as I bring this up in the conversation I want to ask that you take lead on the topic as well because I am very foreign to it you know and I, I've been privileged to not be impacted by many of these struggles or engaging in conversations very deeply um, and I—I I would I would love to make space for that today and to learn about it through your own experiences and, you know, what you'd like mm. to share.
0: Thank you, Dits, for actually providing the space because I guess sometimes it's kind of, like, unheard of or it's a topic that is very niche that only cer- certain people are actually able to have a conversation with. But also, like, as a gay Indonesian man, myself, and I'm not talking my experience on behalf of anything because... Oh my God, like queer Indonesian world is so diverse and it's just amazingly diverse, Mm -hmm. I must say. And it's just so hard to picture or to express it in kind of like a certain words and time frame that we have right now. And once again, I think this is the topic that we can dig down later on as well. Uh, Queer, being queer in Indonesia is is a bittersweet kind of like experience where one day you feel so amazed with all of these amazing stories and diversity and just like the unlimited inspiration that you can get from the community and on the other hand as well it's the fear that we always holding on whenever we wake up and realize that we are gay or we are lesbian or we're transgender or whatever it is when we are queer being indonesian it's we never kind of like pass i feel like i never pass to even though i live here now in australia and feel like my identity is celebrated i still like wake up thinking i'm indonesian knowing that i'm queer and then still questioning will i ever have a space to be queer indonesian in indonesia without having the fear to be queer Indonesian. But also, on the other hand, as we know now, the conversation of like queer Indonesian is actually there in our culture, in our history, ancient years ago. We embrace that, actually. I remember I grew up in the 90s, watching a lot of kind of like slapstick comedies and even like Susana mm. horror movies.
1: <laughs> I remember.
0: Having a representation of queerness in it. And then, I don't know, something happened. And I think Indonesians are just like having this amnesia all over the places and love to have that, that kind of like, you know, amnesia moment. And it's just gone. The celebration is gone. And yes, I mean, like back then being queer, we are, they were being ridiculed, but now we have our political space. We have Twitter, for example, we have TikTok to speak on behalf of our community but from what I see it's more polarized than ever and it's so hard to actually see where is the community because the community is now is very polarized it's not unified and and everyone have their opinion about something and it's just so hard for me and difficult to actually just to grasp and to grapple on things that what can I do yeah. to help so there's two things there's a lot of hope Seriously, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of amazing people on the street, walking down, creating Pride March, discreetly or not. And then the acknowledgement of trans community also is very big and I'm so happy about that. And I was part of this community that created by our friend, uh, Bo Neum. Um He's an AVI, Australian volunteer in Indonesia at the time. And he created this space called Queer Language Club. And then we kind of like created this space to exchange the language of being queer. And once again, we're talking about culture first and it's it's a good start to know ourselves. and from there i realized that what we need to create right now in indonesia is actually a sense of home because if you if you don't know being queer indonesian and some of my friends as a queer indonesian their dreams is actually yeah i think i'm going to go to canada or i want to go to australia or i want to go to america or i want to go to taiwan just to be able to be acknowledged and get married so i guess The important thing right now is actually how can we make Indonesia home again, Mm. carrying this amazing identity and just be grateful and be proud. I'm so sad that I can be proud gay Indonesian while I'm here in Australia. Although I I was out, I mean like I am out in Indonesia, but still, of course, I need to like be, be very, very careful. And here I can just use that card. I'm queer Asian here in Australia, and I'm so happy that I can carry all of this, my culture. And it's not there in Indonesia, so yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting in Indonesia because we're not foreign to the concept of queerness, right? Like, in, in our group of friends, it's always very common to have friends who you just assume are queer and you don't ask anything about it. But yeah, there's no open conversation about it either. And people tiptoe around it. And it, it can be really uncomfortable. So I'm really glad to hear that you feel the sense of hope. And I hope, you know, through our platform and our collective networks, we can keep spreading that as well, because I do agree with you, there is this tension that's currently existing in Indonesia, you know, there's an increase of progressive thought and young leaders who are innovating and leading creatively. But then there's also similar to what's happening in the States, the opposite, which is that growing anxiety and protectivism. And it's actually, if we look at the history, the so rooted in the Arabization of Indonesia, because Indonesia as a culture, you know, was not conservative in the way that it is today. (laughs) Very, very meaty topic. But to bring it back to what you were saying, I'm I'm just glad that there is that growing hope. Mm -hmm. And I think we just you know keep doing the work of amplifying those voices making space for those voices and as far as policy goes I mean it's going to be our generation designing that policy moving forward in time so
0: wow I totally totally agreed with that yes I guess just we need space like what you said we need mm-hmm. the space to be ourselves and and we do we, we we do have that in construction, I guess, with what you created right now is part of it already. So thank you.
1: Yeah, Work in progress and keep working. <laughs> and I mean, looking at Australia, for example, we talk about it as if it's this very rosy and progressive place. But I mean, the marriage equality bill was only passed. Was that two years ago, one year ago?
0: I think 2018.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so change is happening, albeit slow.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, just to conclude my point as well, in a way that mm. I'm here temporarily. I'm in Australia, just temporarily. And with the privilege that I have right now to be able to study here and experience kind of like that sense of freedom, I definitely going to go back to Indonesia and kind of like bring this inspiration to help me to create a progress. I think I want to help my community. And I want to help you know to build something that is very progressive in Indonesia in the future as well
1: that's awesome yeah we can always take the things in the world that are positive and cultivate that and grow that through other people back home thank you for doing that as well (laughs) well I feel like we've touched on so many topics and thank you for being so open and generous and everything you've said has just been really thought-provoking and I I deeply relate to just your, your perspective and I'm so glad to be sharing this conversation with you today.
0: <laughs> Pleasure is mine.
1: One thing we haven't touched on today uh, that I thought we'd just quickly go over is uh, the unspoken poetry slam community that you've built in Ubud and you know building community is such a rewarding but tricky thing and people often undervalue the hard work that goes into facilitation and making safe space for others as we previously discussed. What were the key drivers for you in developing the Unspoken Poetry Slam?
0: Mm. There are three things that kind of like motivate me to create it, co-founded this. So it's me and two other friends who created this, Virginia and Dita. So first, yeah, the, the first reason is that we want to create a space that able to represent the narratives and the story and the voices of Indonesian, where most of the space to do like, you know, spoken word poetry and mostly in Ubud at the time was dominated by foreigners. And we feel like, you know, you know what, we had enough. We need to create a space that is able to represent our own Our own narratives our own story our own legacy second is because we've know the power of poetry so strong in speaking of something that is just unspoken you know something when you talk about your anxiety when you talk about your intent to kill yourself it's hard to say to the others and it's hard for people to understand that write it in a poetry kind of format and then read it people will able to actually sit down with you and able to feel what you feel we want that That's why we name our platform as Unspoken Poetry Slam or Unspoken Poetry. Reason number two is that we need to create a space to speak the unspoken thoughts that we have and true poetry it's just so easy to do. No, it's just so easy to do it, but just to express ourselves, to speak something that is actually taboo or is hard to talk about. We want to have that space. That's why we name our platform as Unspoken. It's because we want to carry out the theme that is so hard to talk about and let people speak these emotions to poetry. Every two months we have this event and we have the theme we have about sexuality, we have about uh, mental health, we, have about, uh, we, ha- we also talk about depression, and a lot of people that participate in our event and you know, read their poem in resonates, resonating the theme, they talk about something that's very hard for them, but somehow the audience able to sit down with these people and able to expre- ex- experience the emotions that they shared and i know the feeling cuz i i love to do that as well you know like you know expressing myself in a form of poetry and performance is like you're being honest with yourself but everyone else as well is there with you and then one one time or two times after your performance someone will come to you if they feel touched they will come to you like thank you very much for reading this you're so brave and that helps that that builds the community as well and yeah, number three, the reason is just we want to have a community. So that's why we moved to different places um, in Bali. It's not just in Denpasar or Ubud, we moved to different places to discover all of these unspoken voices. And so far the experience that we had, it was just amazing. Bali is overwhelmed with amazing talents and I'm sure across Indonesia, there's a lot of amazing poets who have thousands of pages of poetry that never been kind of like, you know, read and we want to discover that. That's the vision. And then also just the education of spoken word is very, very needed. Because sometimes when we talk about indonesian poetry or puisi or sajak people's minds always you know automatically think like oh this rigid flowery words you know you have to read in a very theatrical uh patriotic way i hope you still remember that i do you know in 17 augustus
1: it's so postured and melodramatic <laughs> indonesians are and i and i say this as an indonesian person myself we love our formalities and ceremonial atmospheres
0: so in spoken word we found and especially in bahasa indonesia like we found amazing poets actually read an amazing bahasa indonesia spoken word and we're just like oh wow the emotion is so pure you can just feel it like this one uh woman who won the poetry slam we created in 2018. Her poem is about body image, like how everyone perceive her as a fat girl. And she doesn't want that to be like, you know, uh, a barrier for her to be who she is and feel beautiful. And that's what Indonesian is lacking of, is actually just appreciating the presence of a person, not just the physicality of it. And then she read that in Bahasa Indonesia spoken word. It's like, amazing. So yeah, that's that's the reason why I make Unspoken.
1: Amazing. I, I would love to be more involved in the community and hear from your poets. Anytime. Let me take a second to, to form my thoughts. Because I was just very, I was very immersed in what you were saying. This is This conversation has been very... Awakening, Like, it's just got this feeling that I I really value. And I think it's quite rare to be able to have conversations like this. So just a quick acknowledgement of that.
0: And yeah, I mean, like, you creating this space, for example, and you hear these amazing stories. And you have volunteers working with you who actually feel inspired. And someone who will listen to this podcast will feel inspired. You are doing a great job.
1: Thanks, Donnie. <laughs> Thank you.
0: So... I know how it feels. Mm. So yeah, I can tell. I
1: remember the question I want to ask now. Um, so for our listeners who might be curious about the Unspoken Poetry Slam, how, how can we engage with the community or learn about your work and content? Is, is that possible remotely or is it only at the Ubud Writers Festival?
0: So we do Unspoken outside of Ubud Rice and readers a festival like it's the idea started from there but we we we, we created outside of the platform of uber writers for now it's on hiatus because all of us got distracted with our life and just the three of us it was so hard to maintain and i'm not being able to physically be there yeah. and i'm a physical person in a way that to give support i'm not good with virtual holding hands and kind of thing you know uh, it's so hard to maintain. So we are on pause. Up until I'm uh, going back, we're going to restart it again. But you can check uh, our Instagram at Unspoken Bali, And we do have... Our videos is actually usually posted in Instagram as well. So if you want to see the past performances, you can see it there. And if you want to see my work, it's not out there yet. But yeah, just go to my Instagram, I guess. It's more personal work, so not something yeah. entertaining. Yeah.
1: And what are you getting up to nowadays?
0: Um, I'm, this is my last semester, so I'm concluding my uni year, finally. I'm doing Master of Environment uh, at the University of Melbourne, and my specialisation is climate change. It's gruesome <laughs> and very depressive semesters that I have to pass. I'm working on my research at the moment, just to conclude my semester, my, my master. And um, research my research is about how traditional ecological knowledge and indigenous knowledge can contribute to the climate change adaptation effort in Indonesia. And I'm using Nusa Nusatangara Timur, or Eastern Nusatangara community and South Sulawesi community as my examples of, you know, the activities that they are doing. So It's going to be out there. Hopefully, I can pursue this academic career in a way to publish my paper, but I just need to graduate, seriously.
1: It can feel like that, but that's awesome work, and I love that you're drawing on the indigenous knowledge and wisdom, because I know that there's a fair bit of research on this topic, but I don't feel like there's been a lot of action taken, so this this is really good. In fact... This weekend, I'm aware, a friend of mine is attending an Indigenous women's conference that's global. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I think it must be running digitally, but specifically on addressing that issue. So yeah, it's really, really cool. The
0: topic is there now, mm-hmm. which is good.
1: So good. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that and good luck with the last leg of Masters. Um, but and congratulations as well on all the amazing work that you've done. Um Thank you so much for this conversation, Donnie.
0: Oh, thank you as well to be able to cope with me and all of the energy that you also shared. It's amazing. Thank you, Dits.
1: I wouldn't use the word cope. <laughs> I'm happy to witness it and very excited to share it. So thank you for trusting us as a platform to share as well. And I think what you shared will have a great impact on the lives of Hopefully a lot of young Indonesians may be experiencing similar challenges and I'd love to, in the future on the podcast, do another episode where we, we can focus a bit more on mental health because there's there's so much there, especially in Indonesia as well, that needs to be discussed.
0: Definitely. Mm.
1: Yes. Yeah. So to close today's podcast episode, Donnie is going to perform a poetry reading. I'll let him introduce it and um, transition into the reading. So I'll leave you guys there. Okay. Thank you.
0: Okay. So this is the piece that I write for a Zen submission here in Australia for my uh, kind of like a study group, not study group, my campus. The theme... about environment and how we kind of respond to that as well. And yeah, like I said, I love to write and use kind of like mythologies embedded in my poetry and usually questioning oneself or questioning our world as well is actually part of it. And yeah, I write this with a lot of emotions and the title is actually fun. It's called No. The nature never have any emotion. The burning ember from the branches of the ancient tree caught in fire after the extended episode of a thunderstorm. The glaring blaze shone brightly, highlighting the theatrical scenes from the wilderness. The uproar of the thunder strike gives every single living being a wake-up call. Other than us human, every spectacle knows that it's not the way the nature get angry. No, the nature never have any emotion. Because the earth flows, reshape, unshape, it sharpens, it softens, it melts, it froze. None of us can predict where it goes. It floats like a cloud of dust, the colony of spores, or the school of monarch butterflies, the ancestral hopes and dreams latching to our memory that we pass down to our generation. It streams like the Ganges, explode like stalker, falls like Niagara, drops like our mother's tears of happiness when she brought us to her hands. We know we will be something. They know we will come back to them soon. No, the natures never have any emotion. None of us knows what the cycle of the moon is meant to be. The rising sea and gusty wind that whisper the word of longing. The spirit of loneliness levitate in between the rustle of coconut trees. And the indigeneity of our insecurity trapped underneath the line of mangrove's forest root system. None of us is brave enough to dive deep into the ocean, being in the dark and left into the unknown trapped in time and unable to move forward. Our history with discoveries lead to colonization. Our relationship with findings lead to more questions. What are we? Who are we? And why are we here? No. The natures never have any emotions. It rotates, and part of a more prominent constellation, but the smallest universe we've known so far. The universe we stepped on, we conquered, and now we know two things to move forward. We preserve it, or Is it too late? You don't think so? No. The natures never have any emotions, but we do. We have our roots planted to our gene. We have our names stamped into our hearts. We have our bodies deforming into infinite shapes. We have no gender. We have no preferences. And seriously, we do not have it all. No, the natures never have any emotions. But we do. Or oh, we thought we could have it, but we don't. We don't have anything. The time is not ours. Our space is rented, and all of our possession are robbed from the natures. Because you know what? No, the natures never have any emotions. We will never know if they do, wouldn't we? Melbourne, Pandemic 2020.
1: The Sanasini podcast is recorded in NARM, in the languages of the Bonwarung and Waiwarong Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation, NARM is the name of the area we now call Melbourne. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We also recognize the wisdom of our ancestors across the ocean, di tanah air di Indonesia. The music you hear in the beginning and end of our show is the song Kalapa Garden from the album Bahasa by Young Marco. It features recordings of the Desa Babakan Gamelan ensemble in Bali, Indonesia. Your friends at Sanasini are... Tadani. Alba Legowo,
0: Prabu Legowo,
1: Aren Budi Prabawa. And me, Dilata Legawa. We share many stories and some of the Sanasini process on Instagram, so we'd love to connect with you there. Thanks for joining us. Terima kasih.